Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. We are excited to have Dr. Regan Williams with us today. Regan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, Tell us a little bit about your role at Lebonner Children's Hospital. Sure. I'm the trauma medical director, um, and that means I oversee all the trauma care at the hospital. So I don't take care of every patient. We have a really great big team um, that helps us. But I try um, to keep it organized and um, run our performance improvement program and check in on the patients and um, develop programs within trauma services um, to help the patients. And how long have you been in this specific role? I've been in this specific role for four years now, since 2018. And then how long have you been a general surgeon? I finished in 2013. Okay. So the nine years. Okay. And um, tell me what drew you, we'll just say not only to the, we'll talk about both of them, what drew you to the role of being a pediatric general surgeon, and then we'll talk about what drew you to the role of actually being the director of trauma. Sure. So I thought I was going to be a trauma surgeon. When I started medical school, um, because I worked in the emergency room, and I thought it was exciting and fun, and I could save lives. And then when I started medical school, I realized that if you worked in the emergency department only, you didn't have long-term relationships with your patients, and that a lot of why I wanted to be a doctor was because I really love patient interaction and having those relationships. Mm -hmm. And so I was going to be a general surgeon. And when I did my pediatrics rotation as a third-year medical student, I went to Chattanooga because I didn't like children, and I thought I would never do pediatrics. Wow. I was the baby in my family, and so I did not babysit. I didn't have any of those inclinations at all. So I went to Chattanooga, and I totally fell in love with children and pediatrics and children's hospital. And I think pediatricians and pediatric subspecialists are just a much different crew. Mm -hmm. Um, And children are awesome and wonderful and resilient and so much fun to take care of. And so um, that's when I decided I would work surgery. Okay. And so then from there, you have to kind of declare that, right, Mm -hmm. for the match process to then do residency. Yes. Well, so my residency starts in general surgery. Okay. And then pediatric general surgery is a fellowship after residency. Okay. Got it. And so where'd you do both of those? Where'd you do? I did everything here in Memphis. Okay. Okay. So I did my general surgery here. And then um, pediatric surgery um, is a little competitive. And most people do research um, in the process of that. So once I decided I wanted to do pediatric surgery, I did two years of research at St. Jude. I'm looking at angiogenesis inhibitors in pediatric solid tumors oh, okay. with Andrew Davidoff. Wow. Okay. So. And then finished all of your roles, all of your training in 2013. Mm-hmm. Immediately got hired at Lebonner. Yep. And then have practiced in the last nine years as general surgeon with the trauma director of trauma. Yes. Okay. And so what drew you to that role? Like, is that it? Is that a role that's been at Lebonner? Is that a newer role? What is that? So we, in 2011, we became American College of Surgeons Level 1 Verified Center. Um, and what does that mean? Um, it means we organized our trauma program, um, brought a lot of additional services in to ensure that we were providing the best care we could 
to trauma patients in the Mid-South. Um, so Dr. Trey Eubanks started that program in 2011. And um, because I originally had wanted to do trauma surgery and then switched to pediatric general surgery, um, it when I got hired, um, there was a lot of discussion about um, I was just very interested in trauma. Um, I did some research in trauma. I started out running the burn program. And then and then in 2018, Trey um, became the surgeon in chief. And then um, I became the trauma medical director. Okay. Um, and let's talk about that. Like when you say trauma, mm-hmm. what does that kind of encompass? What does that mean versus other general surgery? What would be kind of the difference how you would distinguish the two? Sure. So trauma patients are um, patients that have um, injuries. So specifically, we think about injuries. It's motor vehicle collisions, falls, um, assaults, pedestrian trucks, um, those kinds of in- injuries. Okay. Um, and the from a clinical standpoint, I manage sort of the whole patient, um, but specifically like the chest and abdominal and soft tissue injuries. Um, but we, as I said earlier, we have this big team. So we have, um, you know, neurosurgeons and orthopedic surgeons and plastic surgeons and um, ears, nose and throat surgeons um, that manage each of the different areas. But the general surgeon or the pediatric trauma surgeon oversees the care of the whole patient and then specifically the chest and abdominal and soft tissue injuries. Okay. So just an example, you know, child is in an ATV accident. Mm-hmm. They get life flighted or ambulance or brought to Labonner Children's Hospital. The emergency department, do they right then determine, okay, this is obviously a trauma patient. You know, they do whatever they can to stabilize them, get them ready, and then they become your patient. So it depends on how ill they are. Okay. Um, the really ill patients, we um, call them trauma stats. So they're okay. the ones that there's um, a, a list of injuries and vital signs that make you that um, make us concerned that you have really severe injuries. And those patients, um, we all get paged out. So the trauma surgeon meets you in the emergency room um, and in conjunction with the emergency department helps um, work up, stabilize, um, and determine what injuries you have. Okay. And then we take care of them as they go to the ICU, the operating room, or the ward. Okay. And then while they're inpatient, because mm-hmm. I just think about even like Forrest, Forrest was, when he was brought in, he had one... Um, he had the PICU doctor who, I guess, admitted him. Mm-hmm. Like her name was on his, you know, card the whole entire time. Mm-hmm. And um, Dr. Peggy O'Kane, I'll never wow. forget it. And um, so is that a similar meaning that mm-hmm. once they get turned over, like you are the attending physician that stays, quote unquote, even though they're seeing lots of others. Like we actually didn't see Peggy the whole entire time because mm-hmm. Peggy wasn't always on service. It is exactly the same. Okay. So we have a sur- um, a surgeon that rotates once a week and then a different one for the weekend. So if I admit the patient, my name will be on their chart forever, um, but I'll be directly managing their care whenever I'm on service. Got it. Okay. Now, as a trauma medical director, I just hear about all the patients. Um, every Thursday, I do only trauma. Um, and we, um, our trauma team talks about the patients every single day okay. um, just to ensure that they're getting what they need. Um that there's nothing that we can do to improve their care, essentially. So I always hear about all the patients anyway. Okay, okay. And how many are on, I mean, you talk about the kind of trauma team, and Mm -hmm. that's got all kinds of subspecialties, right? Mm -hmm. That's all part of the trauma team. Mm -hmm. But then how many general surgeons do you have at Le We have seven. Okay. And they can do 
I know a lot of them, I mean, I at least know this from David in the orthopedic world, that they have their kind of niche mm-hmm. that maybe they love the most or know the most or have become kind of the guru, but they can still do anything and everything that has to do with pediatric orthopedics. Are y'all similar in that way? It is. Yep. Similar in that way. So everybody does have a little, their niche, the thing that they're very passionate about. Okay. Um, but all seven take trauma call um, and manage the patients on the trauma service. Okay. Okay. So one of the reasons we really wanted to have you on is um, in regards to focusing on trauma and injuries. Um, Unfortunately, in the work that both David and I do, um, we hear a lot about um, injuries and traumas that have happened uh, to children. And in that, whether it's from David being on call or me getting the phone call, you know, that a family needs support from the Forrest Spence Fund, um, we just really thought, let's get on an expert who sees this and can help us really convey out there what are some ways that we can try to keep kids safe. We're in the summertime. There are more outside playing, kids doing things. Kids aren't in schools. Mm-hmm. They have more time to get injured and hurt. Not that they can't get injured and hurt at school, but um and so and it it really honestly came from um last July 4th, David was on call and um, saw some injuries that he really thought, man, I I just kind of wish people were aware. Mm -hmm. And then maybe some of these things wouldn't happen. And so that really drew us to say, if if we launch this podcast and we do it, we want to have Dr. Regan on and we want to really ask her. So we are coming to you saying, what are some common injuries and traumas you see around the 4th of July, but really summer? And then, I mean, I, I want to talk about others, too, because I know of some that are definitely snow-related or injury. But right now, when we're right here in the peak of summer, what are some common traumas and injuries that you tend to see? Uh, so the most common mechanism of injury is falls, mm-hmm. um, and that is, like, falls from trees, um, falls from the top of a car. So you think about I don't know about y'all, but my kids love to climb everywhere and anywhere. Um, and I think that's why falls are the number one cause. Um, but they also, um, though they're the most common mechanism of injury, you don't get very severely injured from them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in the summertime, kids are definitely out more doing a lot of fun stuff, which is what we want them to do. Mm-hmm. But I think that, that having some ground rules as to some some ways of keeping safe and some things that are maybe not as safe um, is, is just a good start. So I think like when the kids are younger and giving them good supervision, which is not don't do this, but as I'm watching you climb that tree, remember that the limbs that are further out are not as sturdy as mm-hmm. the ones that are closer to the middle of the tree. Mm-hmm. And so we want to test things before we actually stand on them. So just some little things like that, mm-hmm. particularly the fireworks. I think fireworks are so fun and exciting and the kids really love them, but they definitely need to be supervised um, when doing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and just remembering that like bottle rockets are called bottle rockets because they're supposed to be lit in bottles, not in your hand, mm-hmm. um, which is a big thing. Roman candles in the hand, we see a lot of that. Mm-hmm. All of these fireworks have their um, have a possibility of backfiring, mm-hmm. um, and when they do that, they tend to catch 
the children's clothes on fire. Yeah. Um, and so we get a lot of burns around the 4th of July because of that. So um, I think like some really basic things like one, pajamas are all pretty flammable. So you shouldn't wear pajamas when you're doing fireworks. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about the type of clothes that your kids have on, um, you don't want really baggy clothes or um, a lot of like plastic and rayon because that's going to catch on fire more um, than if you just have like cotton clothes mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think supervision most of all yeah. Um graduated supervision because we want them to learn to make good decisions also. Yeah. Um, but really having adult supervision is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just know, you know, really truly from David coming home after that call and saying like, man, don't close your hands around a firework. Yeah. You know, keep, keep again, you know, whether you think your child should shoot a firework or not, as she said, a lot of good things, bottle rockets were to come out of bottles and Roman candles. I mean, I know of an adult who had it turned the wrong way and it didn't shoot up, shot down. So, but, you know, no matter what, um, I think about it even when you're, you know, um, feeding a dog, like you're mm-hmm. supposed to have an open palm, like yeah. open palm. Don't yeah. let's not close our <laughs> hand around the firework. Um, so just be really smart about that. What about in regards to pools, water? lakes, ponds. Yeah. So um, we do see a lot of drownings um, in the summer. And something that was really surprising to me when I started working at the hospital is that the drownings um, are most commonly at a party where there are a lot of adults around. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's the scariest thing Mm because we all get together and the adults start getting distracted and you have a good swimmer and there's a lot of people there. um, And then that is the most common way that someone drowns. And so really this concept of like having an adult that's always looking at the pool and you can like trade out who that is. So I have a pool and whenever I go inside to get anything, I'm like, okay, hey, Tiffany, you're in charge of watching the pool now. Yeah. Um, I always, if I have a party at the house, I get a lifeguard because I've seen, you know, what can happen. Yeah. Um, and it's not from that people aren't paying attention or, or aren't trying or aren't caring, but it's just, you. it's very easy to get distracted. Yeah. Um, family reunions are like a really common place for kids to drown mm-hmm. because I think everybody's talking and you're having a great time and there's so many adults around that everyone assumes that somebody else is watching. Yeah. Yeah. And we actually have, um, friends from college whose, um, son, uh, while eating up in the condo, somehow got out and mm. went, got all the way downstairs. He was three years old, got all the way downstairs. And um, unfortunately, they think reached for a pool toy that had mm. been left in the water. And so um, they really talk about it a, bu- a, a bunch of different ways that you could hopefully try to prevent that. I mean, one was, you know, a lock on the door mm-hmm. that's higher up that he couldn't have reached. They didn't ever think he could unlock the door. But um they actually started a thing called Water Guardians. Mm-hmm. And the premise of it is that it's an actual tag that you pass, mm-hmm. you know. And so I'm wearing it. I am. It is my job to watch the pool. And then if it is, I need to go to the bathroom. I'm going to get something mm-hmm. to eat. It is an actual form of you now. You're taking mm-hmm. the tag. You are in charge. Um, I remember having that conversation with my father when he got a pool down in Florida and I was coming down with my little ones, my dad was like, well, there's tons of adults. And I was like, absolutely. I will not come unless you put a gate around that pool. Cause his was the kind Florida. You have your doors open every single day. It's yeah. in an enclosed porch. So it literally is like another part of the house. It's even different than I would say in Memphis. 
I was like, dad, that is when the most accidents happen is when everybody thinks someone else is Mm -hmm. watching. And so I think that's such great advice. Um, I've really been inspired by watching the Hughes family really take initiative saying it's when you don't think Mm -hmm. is when so often it's not necessarily when you're actually, you know, when you're the mom at the pool with your three children, you're really paying attention to them. It's, it's the distractions. It's the, someone talks to you. It's the family reunion. Um, but just to really be aware and to, to also know what your kids can and can't do. Yeah. You know, can they really get past the steps? Can they really go towards the deep? They can always do more than you think they can. Yeah. Well, and they're always going to push you. I mean, (laughs) that's just in general. They're always, at least mine, they're always pushing the limits. Uh, If I say, go, don't go past this line, they're going to at least take a step past it. So, um, okay. So just talking about kind of, what about even, I mean, I think some of the other things that kind of stand out, I mean, we have, you know, any tips on like bicycles or ATVs or? Yeah, so ATVs um, increased a lot, ATV injuries during the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that people were home and they got bored and they were like trying to find something to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had a lot of ATV accidents. So um, some really basic things that that I didn't think about. I myself was in an ATV accident when I was like 17 because wow. we were riding on the road. By the way, you're not supposed to ride ATVs on the road. They're yeah. really meant to be ridden like in the grass um, and gravel, but never anything paved. Um, So that's one thing. Um, I think going over like um, ATV safety is like when you can roll over and things like that is really important. Mm -hmm. Not having too many people on because, again, you get distracted um, and you're not paying attention. And then, you know, I know every parent isn't going to wear helmet, use helmets with their child, um, but – they actually are really, really important. Um, yeah. Head injury is the number one killer of children. Mm. Um, and I think we sometimes don't think because we think they're going to be riding slow and they're going to be in the grass. And mm-hmm. even if they flip over, they're not really going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. And then it's a big argument. I know it is for me when my kids go out on their bike and yeah. like, you have to wear your helmet. And they're like, I don't want to wear a helmet. And I'm said, well, you have to wear one anyway. Yeah. And I really had to be very firm with them about it yeah. because... It's not that they aren't great bike riders, mm-hmm. but it's somebody else that doesn't see them that accidentally hits them. Yeah. And then that that's when you, you get the bad injury. So I think from ATVs, it's talking to them about being safe, not driving too fast, not having too many people on, um, and then wearing a helmet. Mm-hmm. And that's true for like side-by-sides. And there's so many little electric um, all-terrain vehicles now, not just the um, – yeah four-wheel drive, the fours that we used to think about. Yeah. Um, But all of those things can flip over. And I think people feel like because they have a roll cage that they're in a little car, but they're not in a little car. Yeah. Um, And so you, and in those, there's seatbelts in those things that most people don't use, but that's just like being in a car. And so having the seatbelt on really can, can save your life. And we've had people in side-by-sides that like crush whole limbs that are hanging out by the roll bar. Mm. Um, So yeah, there's just a, a lot of little things. I think whenever you get like a new piece of fun equipment, yeah. really like talking to your child about, we want you to go and have fun, but here are just a few things to be safe. Wear your helmet, wear your seatbelt. Right. This is the speed limit. Think about where you're going to be going so that you're not going to run into a hole or mm-hmm. over a rock. You know, just being mindful about what you're doing and where you are. Yeah. And I think being aware too, we've told our children, you know, that this is it's not a toy. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is a legit motor vehicle. And, you know, because of that, there is no warnings. You 
act crazy and don't drive responsibly and don't do what you're supposed to. We have a side by side that has seat belts and has mm-hmm. all those things. There will no, there will be no more of you driving it. Mommy and daddy will drive it and we will drive it very slow and yeah. it is not as fun. <laughs> so, you know, there also, I think has to be an aspect of like, I'm doing this to protect you and to yeah. keep you safe, not to be, um, you know, my, one of my children likes to say that my husband is the crusher of dreams <laughs> He says it in regards to him having to tell so many kids that they can't play sports mm-hmm. or they got to wear a cast all the way up to the top of their leg or mm-hmm. whatever else. And so he he said that Campbell Clinic should have a, a shirt that says Crusher of Dreams for 112 years because it just we have giggled of how many people my husband has mm-hmm. had to tell, you know, you can't play soccer or you can't play baseball or you can't do this. But trying to say we're not trying to crush your dreams of Right. Climbing trees or riding bikes or we as parents, I, I want mine outside as, as much as much possible. as possible. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to take away those things, but I obviously want to keep them safe. Um, another one that that tends to have some injuries that I think families don't always think so much about trampolines. Yes. So what are some ways to keep kids safe on trampolines? So um, having padding around them, I think, is really important or the nets where they can't fall off. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of injuries on trampolines occur when there are multiple children on the trampoline at the same time. Yeah. uh, Because it's just really hard to control the bouncing and the trajectory of where you're going um, Mm -hmm. when there's a lot of people on. Um, So, again, I think when you get the trampoline, just talking about, like, making some rules. Like, how many people are we going to have on at a time? What what kind of things are we going to do on the trampoline? because I have seen some really crazy injuries from trampolines. And then the other thing with trampolines is um, they wear out, and people sometimes don't know that. And mm-hmm. so they can break or springs can fly, and we've seen some injuries from that as well. So, like, maintenance on all of your fun home uh, toys is really important. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, that's a great one, too. Um, all right, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. What else have we missed? Said swing. Oh, okay. Um Firearms. Yes. So I know that's a big thing um, to you and to your team and everything else. How do we keep children safe, um, especially in a home that has firearms, whether that's hunting or collector or whatever else? What are things that we can do um, as a community and in our own home to keep our children safe from firearms? So about half of our injuries um, in Shelby County occur in the home from firearms and usually from, like, your family, friend, or yourself. Um, And so to keep kids safe, we really need to keep firearms um, unloaded um, and locked, and the ammunition and the firearm need to be separate from each other. So um, kids are naturally curious. They're going to get in and and look at those things when you're not around, Um, but you want to make it really hard for them to shoot the firearm when when you're not around, like mm-hmm. it's fine to, to go hunting or even target shooting, whatever it is that you want to do. Um, but you want to make sure that that's always supervised. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now in the state of Tennessee, like suicide is one of the most common causes of death in children. Um, and most of those are related to firearms. And so um, I think that we sometimes forget that um, adolescents make really rash decisions mm-hmm. that are not well thought out. Um, and if you take too much Tylenol, you're really unlikely to die from that. Mm -hmm. But if you make a rash decision and you go find your gun or your dad's gun or your mom's gun or whatever, um, that's harder to reverse. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think really just um, keeping them locked, 
unloaded um, and the ammunition away from the firearm itself yeah. is the most important thing. And and then, you know, it's important to talk to your children about firearm safety. Um, I think most, a lot of adults do that. Um, but it's really remembering that, that children are children and they don't always make the best decisions mm-hmm. in the world. Um, and they don't have all the knowledge and they don't think years in advance, they're always thinking moment to moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really it's our job as as parents and adults to try to keep them as safe as we can. And so um, the case fatality rate for a firearm injury is 12 times anything else. So you're more likely to die from a firearm injury than any other mechanism injury. So um, getting hit, you know, if you're in a car going 70 miles an hour and you get in a car accident, you're 12 times more likely to die from a firearm than in a high-speed motor vehicle collision. Wow. So just, I think people sometimes forget how deadly a firearm can yeah. be. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why it's so important that we keep them safely stored. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and again, conversations, being real and honest mm-hmm. with kids about the danger of it and what they are and aren't used for and that that's something that they never, ever touch without mommy or daddy. What are... What are any other ones that you can think of? Let's let's. Are there any more that you think are like warm weather, summer? I mean, cars. We yeah. say wear your seatbelt. So you know, motor vehicle collisions are um, the second leading cause of death in children. Um, and so if your if your child um, is sixteen or older and can drive, you really distracted driving is one of the worst mm-hmm. things for them. And mm-hmm. um, we just all got trained on a a program called Checkpoints um, that the city of Tennessee puts forth, which is a, a contract for new drivers with their parents. Mm-hmm. And I really like it because it, it tells you like the three most common scenarios of when teenagers get in accidents. And it's like um, new drivers, when they have another person in the car, mm-hmm. if they drive during the, um, when it's raining outside or at night. Okay. And so um, I think just having the conversations with your children about, um, safe choices and things that aren't as safe and um, distracted driving is like one of the number one things for kids. Yeah. Um, I'm a crazy seatbelt woman. Mm-hmm. My children know that like the car will stop if your seatbelt is not on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think seatbelts go along with helmets, whereas it's really easy to get lax about that. Yeah. Um, but it's something that's so easy and so simple. And you know that your children, when you're not there, um, are not going to remember seatbelts if you don't really talk to them about it all the time or right. or if you're relaxed about it. So seatbelts are really important. I'm, I'm also a big car seat person. Mm-hmm. Um, most of our injuries and in motor vehicle collisions are in children that are improperly restrained. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, when cars came out in the 1970s, um, it's a huge death rate from them, um, but we didn't take cars away. We just made them safer. And so that's when seatbelts got um, developed and then we had airbags and now we have sensors and we have all these things to keep cars safe um, but we do actually have to use them mm-hmm. um, and so really having your your child in, in a, a proper booster seat car seat and seat belted in is really important and mm-hmm. I think letting them know that it's really important because they're going to forget yeah um, unless every single day you have told them their whole life that they have to have a seatbelt on yeah and then or, they're still going to forget or even the the fight of when when can I move out of the booster or when yeah. can I be in the front seat? And that is that is a fight that my children constantly have. And we just continuously say, like, we're doing this to keep you safe. Yeah. It's not because we don't like you yeah. or we don't want you sitting up here up front with me. But, you know, there's there is a proper weight. There is a proper height. Mm-hmm. There are things in place. There's been so much research done. Mm-hmm. 
stating how long kids should be backwards in their car seat, how long they should be in a five-point harness, booster seats. And I encourage you, if you don't know those, read about them. Yes. Google and find out what they are. And just because you're in the carpool line and you see that some kid younger than your kid is already in the front seat or no longer in a booster seat or whatever else does not mean that you have to have that you have to do it too. Sometimes we have to be the unfun mom. um, The great thing is I just tell them it's the state law. It Mm -hmm. is the state law. Yeah, it really Um, is. And I pull up the Tennessee state law and I showed the children exactly how old they had to be to be out of a booster Mm -hmm. and to sit in the front seat. And, um, and so it wasn't about me. Mm -hmm. It was really just about the state of Tennessee and we don't want mommy to go to jail. Yeah. So, um, we have to pay attention to laws and I still have to look them up occasionally. Every time I get a child that's like ready to be out of a booster, Yeah. I'm like, let me look it up. Look, look, it says right here, nine, you have to be nine or four feet, six inches tall. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, then, then we measure them. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm getting it on. Uh, I'm getting it on two two sides. I got one that's so ready to be out of a booster, uh-huh. and she's got a few more pounds and a few more inches. And I've got one that really wants to be in the front seat, and he's got quite a few more pounds and uh, a few more inches. And so, you know, there's there's some measuring and some looking, and you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, you're just it's not right. I don't care. And I think reminding the kids that there's all this research. It's yeah. not just something that you made up. Yeah. It's not because you don't want it to be fun. Yeah. Um, but there's been a lot of research on, on how to keep children safe in a car. And, yeah. And, and these are the really basic things that we need to do to keep you safe. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, it, it definitely is a struggle as a parent to seem like the one, you know, whether it's your kids are the only ones wearing helmets on bikes in the neighborhood. But at the end of the day, like... You're just doing whatever you need to do to keep your kids safe. And, you know, I don't want my kids to live in a bubble. I don't want my kids to not climb trees or to, you know, not ride their bikes or not go swimming or, you know, any of the things that could happen. But at the same time, I think there are things that we can put in place to keep our kids safe and to protect them, you know, as best we can. Um, Are there any other kind of common traumas or injuries that you see, especially in regards to this summer? Snake bites. Okay. We get a lot of snake bites in the summer. Yeah. People. Like get, reach in their hands or something? Reaching their hands in. Reach their hands in holes they don't know. Holes. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. I would never <laughs> do that as an adult. But kids. No, but kids are so curious. Oh, my goodness. That's They're like so my curious. nightmare. I if know. you told me, like, reach your hand in that dark hole, <laughs> it's like my nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> but kids are like, I'm going to do it. Yep. Okay. All right. So tell so kids. That's another one from the summer for okay. sure. Okay. Snake bites. Got it. Okay. And then what about as we go into, you know, fall, winter, what are some other ways that we can, you know, really try to discuss common traumas and injuries that you see? So as um, it starts getting colder, we see a lot more burns. Um, and those are most commonly scald burns. Um, and that is from young children pulling hot water down onto their chest um, so they're like trying to help or they're putting something in the microwave and then when they go to pull it out it's really hot and it splashes all over them okay. so um, I think there's some basic things there um, that you can talk to your children about 
the way my kitchen set up, the kids like to ride their scooters through the kitchen. <laughs> and, um, and I have to remind them like when mommy's cooking, you cannot do that. Yeah. So really easy things is, um, we get a lot of grease burns and skull burns, even from pans being pushed over. Mm-hmm. So making sure that the handle is away, f- uh, is on the inside and not the outside. Um, and then if you're going to use candles or space heaters, making sure that you unplug them and that you keep them, um, away from particularly young crawling children. We okay. get a lot of like radiator burns and things like that, okay. or like kids like crawling over to a space heater. Okay. Um, so that that's a lot of our winter things. And then, you know, usually we don't have a ton of snow, mm-hmm. um, so we don't have to worry about that. Um, but we definitely have sledding injuries mm-hmm. um, when we do have a big snow. And, and that's, again, just talking to your children about being safe and, um, looking at where you're going to be sledding and where you're going to end up and um, don't pull your kid on a sled behind your car um, because sleds weren't really meant to go that fast Mm -hmm. and you can't predict like what direction they're going to be going in. Um, And, and it's not like skiing or sledding when you have a lot of snow like out West um, because we don't usually have that much snow. So there's going to be like valleys and hills mm-hmm. and areas that you can't predict that are going to kind of push people in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, from summertime boating accidents occur a lot too. Um, and, and so th- that's one of like lots of supervision, mm-hmm. lots of life jackets. Um, yeah. yeah. And just all making kids, good really, decisions. Mm-hmm. All kids should be wearing a life jacket. Yeah. Also it's the law. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's not a certain age. Like, is that a certain age that you? All children have to have a life jacket on if they're on anything considered to be a boat. And even a paddleboard is considered to be a boat. Okay. Um, Good to know. So that's like one thing that I don't always think about Mm because I think it has to have a motor, but it doesn't. If you're on a watercraft, so something that floats, then your children are all supposed to have life jackets on the whole time that they're on. When you say children, is that 18 and below? I think for life jackets, it's 16 and below. Okay. Okay. But, um, okay. So law of all water, your kayaks, your Mm -hmm. canoes, your, all that stuff, 16 and below should have it on. Yep. I always think about it in regards, because my kids really are good little swimmers, but I always think about it in regards to if they knocked their head. Yeah. And then they're at the bottom of the lake. Well, and then I, that, and like the lake, you cannot see through the lake water for the most part. Exactly. And the depth is very um, deep. Yeah. And so, yeah, if you knock your head, if yeah. you're, you know, you accidentally fall out of the boat and you get knocked out, like, yeah. if you're floating and everyone sees it, you can very quickly go pick them up. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if, if they don't have a life jacket on, then you can't. So, yeah. Um, mine also complain about that a lot. But. And that rises, isn't that, that's pretty high, like drowning, I feel like is the highest of your littles, and then it's really high, also high teenagers Mm -hmm. from that boating accidents, traumas in the water, more so of boating injuries, jet ski injuries, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. That's where kind of the drowning numbers go up again. Yeah. So it's kind of your ones that can't swim for the most part young. Right. And then the adolescents. And then the second one, I think highest, right, is adolescents. So, um, okay, so wear life jackets. All the time. All the time, every single thing. Yeah. And then I think talking to kids like jet skis, the way you would talk to them about ATVs, like Mm -hmm. this is is a real boat. It's a small boat, but it has a lot of power. 
It can get away from you. You've really got to be paying attention, mm-hmm. not having too many people on it where you're going to be distracted, making sure you're you're going down the, the right paths um, where there aren't a, a lot of boats. Um, yeah. so. And being aware. Also, I think about um, that, that kids understand mm-hmm. how actually the lake works. You know, that it's not... Yeah. You know that it's not the exact same. That, I mean, there are rules and laws of where you can go. What do the buoys mean? What do mm-hmm. the colors mean? Yeah. All that kind of stuff, I think, is also so important. Yeah. And so you can, um, the kids can get like a boating license and it has all of those laws in it. Okay. Um, which yeah. I thought was really interesting just yeah. as my 13 year old started wanting to to drive the boat. It's mm-hmm. actually legal for them to drive the boat if they have a boating license. Okay. And it's just like a really short online course and you take a test and Yeah. Um, which was was didn't take a lot of time. And exciting but I, for him. But it was really exciting yeah. for him. And then it it's teaching him like what do the buoys mean and the parts okay. of the boat and yeah. how to stay safe. That's great to know. Um okay, so now I'm gonna pivot just a little bit. Okay. So we have a trauma, we have an injury, we have something happen that's pretty, um, you know, life-threatening. Mm-hmm. What do they do? What do you advise? Do they immediately call 911? Do they, you know, what's what's their next steps? What typically happens in that situation? Like if they call 911, what happens? Yeah, so definitely call 911 the very first thing um, because it's unlikely that you're going to be able to provide the care that your child needs. Mm-hmm. Um, after you do that, then you want to see, like we always talk about the ABCs, but like are they talking or not talking? Um, if they're not talking, do they have a pulse or a heart rate? You know, that's easy to check at the neck. Um, and then um, actually, you know, CPR is taught everywhere because it really does help mm-hmm. and, and can be really life-saving in children. Um, before EMS gets there. So if anything happens, you always want to call 911 immediately. Be aware of your surroundings because you're going to have to tell them where you are. And if you're not at home, you might have no idea what that street name is. Yeah. Um, and, and you need them to get there quickly, but you have to be able to tell them where you are for that to happen. Um, we have a a course called stop the bleed that teaches how to, um, stop life-threatening hemorrhage. Um, and so, you know, most of, a lot of our trauma patients are, are having, have injuries that cause bleeding. And so if you call 911, um, you would want to like look for injuries where you can hold pressure, um, or somehow slow the bleeding until, um, the ambulance can get there. Okay. And if you're in a rural area mm-hmm. and not a lot around, 911 will determine the best way for you to get the care you need. Yes. Okay. Yes, they will. So um, the dispatch will determine who, where you are, um, who can come get you. Um, sometimes that's a police officer coming to get you and taking you to a rendezvous with the ambulance. Okay. We've seen that before in really uh-huh. rural areas. Okay. Um, but yes, if you call 911, they will direct you. They also will ask you questions about breathing and um, pulse and and try to like walk you through mm-hmm. some basic CPR or mm-hmm. stopping bleeding or um, how to support your child until EMS arrives. Yeah. Okay. Um, and really, don't move them. Don't move them. Don't move them. Yep. Leave them. I know that kind of seems counter- counterintuitive as a mom mm-hmm. or as a dad that you feel like I-, I need to I need to do something, but we can cause more harm. And Correct. so assess, call 911, you know, while you're on the phone with 911, they will kind of help you walk through mm-hmm. 
you know, are they breathing? Are they doing this? Are they doing this? And hopefully even be able to guide you a little bit on what to do yep. right there while you wait. Um, try to stay calm. The more calm you are, the better that you're going to be able to talk to the mm-hmm. EMT or the 911 dispatcher to be able to say where we are, what's going on, and how can they best help. Um, and so then from there, child will be transported typically to the closest children's hospital. Mm-hmm. And then from there, treated the most crucial injuries first. And well, look at everything as a whole, but really mm-hmm. treat the most crucial injuries first and then go from there. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, I think sometimes, you know, just even saying out loud, what is it that, you know, I need to do if I do, God mm-hmm. forbid, get into the situation of an ATV accident or, you know, um, whatever else, uh, you know, we hope that you do know with drowning, you would get them out of the water. Right. Um, but the rest we're saying for the most part, really. Yeah. Don't move them. Don't move them. Yeah. Cause you don't want to make any of their injuries worse. Yeah. What do you wish families would be more kind of aware of in regards? I and mean, I feel like you've given amazing knowledge and, and advice. Is there anything else that you just, you know, think of, especially with how much, in all honesty, hard things that you see and come across. Is there anything that you think, man, I'd, I'd love to be able to, I feel like I'm seeing families after, mm-hmm. you know, is there anything that you think, I wish I could tell them. I know y'all are doing a lot of things to do that. The Stop the Bleed campaign, mm-hmm. the, the um, I think, are y'all, um, like y'all have been doing some gun, mm-hmm. con, is it gun control? What, what do we do be smart training, which is safe storage. Okay. Um, and then we are working on decreasing community violence by partnering with other community organizations. Um, and, and really right now focusing on mental health support okay. um, for injured children and their families. Um, okay. Because mental health is, is wrapped up in community violence for sure. Okay. Okay. So y'all are definitely doing things. And, and that's one of the things I, I very highly think of Le Bonner is their community mm-hmm. outreach program that they're not just focused on once the child comes into the hospital, mm-hmm. because in all, in all honesty, in some ways we have failed them. If we have not done things beforehand, mm-hmm. whatever it is to protect them from coming into the hospital, you know, whether it is trying to prevent injuries or trauma or controlling asthma better or, mm-hmm. Um, you know, those that have kidney or endocrine or other things going on. And I really um, appreciate Labonner's work in that, Fam- the nurse family partnership, the way that they're partnering to really help new young mothers. Um, I-, I just think that Labonner's really done a great job on that, on the community aspect. So is there anything that you wish families were more aware of in regards to injuries and trauma? I think injury prevention is so important because we um, – we can do a really good job of treating your child, um, but we definitely can't make everything the way it was before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you really, we talked a little bit about like, there's all this research on how to keep our kids safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we forget about it sometimes. And so really basic things like helmets, seatbelts, um, water safety, and and I think graduated supervision. Um, uh-huh. So when children are doing things like you're there in the moment to say like, oh, that may not be the safest choice when they're younger. Um, and then as they get older, they will learn to make those decisions themselves because mm-hmm. they've heard you say it enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the basic things that we, we think maybe are little are actually really big and important. Yeah. And being on the same page, you mm-hmm. know, if, if you have another caregiver that you are 
parenting these children with really try to get on the same page. You mm-hmm. know, that both of you are saying helmets are important. Both of you are saying seatbelts are important. Both of you are understanding that a swimming pool is very dangerous mm-hmm. if it is not, or a lake or a pond or whatever, if it's not taking serious that they must be watched and monitored or taught swim lessons. I mean, we also want to say like, start teaching your children. Yeah. I mean, there is infant swim lessons, getting them to flip over and, um, I mean, survival swimming Mm -hmm. and then move into really swimming. I mean, those are all also ways that you can protect your children for those that, because your little precious 18 month, two year olds, all we're trying to do is just keep them alive at that point. And so they're going to go towards water because mm-hmm. it's pretty and fun and different. Mm-hmm. And you don't think they will and they're going to topple in. And so if they yeah. know how to flip over and stay, you know, with their face up until someone can get them, yeah. that right there could save their life. And so even getting on the same page with those that take care of your children. Yeah. I am very adamant. My children are old enough that they can all swim. But if a babysitter or a nanny takes my kids to the pool... And I find out that they were on their phone the whole entire time. I will let them go. I am very serious about you are there to watch my children and pay attention mm-hmm. to my children, you know, and and pay attention. Because, again, kids are, they're flipping. What mm-hmm. if they hit their heads? What if they do something? You just never know. And so I think also just making sure that your expectations and your hopes are also what others share mm-hmm. as well. And I think that definitely can be a struggle of... Maybe not everybody, you yeah. know. Well, it sends a clear message to the kids, too, if both of you are saying the same thing or yeah. three or four or five or however many people. Yeah. Um, but kids always want to do the most fun in the moment thing. Yeah. And if someone is saying that's okay, then they're going to side with that other person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think getting on the same page um, is really important. And open lines of communication with your children. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for being on. Um, we hope that anyone that's listening never has to meet Dr. Regan Williams in the hospital. Um, but uh, we're so thankful to have you in the role that you're in. You're doing an amazing job. Um, David and I know you personally. David obviously works um, mm-hmm. closely with you and um, says nothing but just amazing things about you and your role and what you do and how you support families. So Thank you for that. Thank you for everything that you do. And um, we are just really, really appreciative of it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, We want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.